Hi there, you are listening to the Being Unstoppable podcast, where we talk about being unstoppable in your brand, business, and life. I'm your host, Carolee Fontanelli, and as an entrepreneur, lawyer, course creator, and author, I understand what it takes to strive for the next level. Through 20 years of having several businesses, making a ton of mistakes, and celebrating loads of success, I love to share my secret sauce, tips, and strategies on how you too can become unstoppable. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another week of the Being Unstoppable podcast. Today, I have got a special guest. I interviewed Tegan from The Social Law Co. She has a fascinating career and is an unstoppable woman herself. Anyway, we talked about how to protect yourself in your business and to ensure that you don't become stoppable and you remain unstoppable by ensuring that you have got all of your legal boxes ticked. Tegan is an expert in this area. She helps people, particularly social media influencers and people with online businesses, she helps them to ensure that they are legally protected and have got all their ducks in a row. So we have a really interesting conversation that covers a whole range of topics and I can't wait for you to meet Tegan and to hear what she has to say. But for now, I would love to read a review that I received from a beautiful listener called Tracy. Tracy says, I just wanted to thank you for your podcast as I really enjoy listening to you, especially your your podcast on self-help and personal growth. I find them really helpful and they pick me up and inspire me. Well, thank you so much, Tracy, for those beautiful words. And I definitely have a lot of new topics coming right up on personal growth. This week, I have been inside the Scalable Business Society and we have been doing a masterclass this week and it was amazing. What we talked about this week inside the Scalable Business Society was the difference between Google ads and Facebook ads and exactly how they have helped me in my business. If you would love to scale your business and not work in it daily, as well as attract the right clients so that you have got more money coming in the door, then I would love to have you inside the Scalable Business Society with me. It is so much fun and we are learning so much and I'm loving seeing everyone with their business results. It's amazing. If you would love to know more, all you have to do is DM me or email me if you want to. Um, You can DM me over at Instagram or Facebook at carolee.fontanelli and just write scalable and I will send you a link to my free workshop so you can learn all about it. But for today, let's introduce Tegan. Welcome to the Being Unstoppable podcast, Tegan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So to get started, the first thing that we like to hear about is a little bit about you and then also a question, which is what makes you unstoppable? Uh, Okay, so about me, I am a solicitor that's been practicing for 13 years now, um, primarily in corporate commercial law, started my own practice about a year or two ago, focusing on online businesses, social media, um, general corporate commercial that comes with online business. 
um, and have been growing it since then with a focus on influencers and social media in general. Um, what makes me unstoppable? Probably my ambition, I would say. So I have two little kids and still a huge desire not to um, step away from my career. So I am living the juggle and I guess that's something that motivates me by um, wanting to still succeed in my career but also wanting to be present in my kids' life. So it really um, encourages me to keep going with my business, I guess, because that is what enables me to do both. That's so cool. And also in law, um, it can be really tricky to find that balance, yes. can't it? Yes. Working for someone else, absolutely. Um, there is, I think, still a lot of stigma in legal practices, a lot of legal practices around FaceTime within the office. So, um, you know, some people work better at night, some people work better early in the morning. I think the important thing is the output that you're producing. So, um, making sure that you're hitting your billing targets, making sure that you're making money for the business, making sure that you're building the brand, doing everything that a lawyer needs to be doing. But I don't necessarily believe that you need to do that between nine and five. So a hundred percent, definitely. And so how have you been finding like working for yourself? Loving it actually. So I find that I have to focus on different things. So um, when I worked for somebody else, I was able just to focus on my practice in, in the law and the advice that I was giving and you know, what was happening in my own office, in my, at my own desk. Whereas now I need to focus more on what's happening across the industry because I'm in such a niche market that is ever changing very quickly. Um, I'm needing to keep abreast of a lot more of what's happening outside of my office, as well as doing all the things that come with running a business and wearing all the hats. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'll just mention too that Tegan and I are actually face-to-face and and sharing a mic (laughs) in my office, which is super cool. Um, Tegan's someone that I've met and know on the Gold Coast um, through our little social networks and more. (laughs) Uh, So it's awesome to have her on the podcast. But what I really wanted to talk about today is how to be unstoppable when it comes to ensuring that you're you're on top of all of your legals when Mm -hmm. setting up a business and going about um, your practices on social media, um, maybe you're setting up an online course, whatever it might be. Because the reality is, and I think a lot of people forget about this when they get excited by the, mm. you know, sexy things in starting yes. a business, um, the reality is, is that it can make you stoppable. Yes, if, absolutely. It can stop you in your tracks. It can stop you in your tracks if you don't set everything up in the right way. Correct. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? So I guess my thoughts on this are somewhat twofold because you need to think through the issues smartly. You can't let not having a large budget stop you completely. So um, whilst there are a number of things that you can get in terms of absolute top shelf legals for any business, um, everyone starts off with a budget and everyone starts off with a risk appetite and what's important to them and what can wait and what can sort of be added to the back burner. So there are some absolute non-negotiables when you start a business mm-hmm. that you need to get under control. And then there are other things that as you progress in your business and your business grows, you are able to add on to increase um your protection and minimize your risk as you grow. Um, you don't necessarily need to start off with the absolute gold star in having everything covered. Um, and I would hate for anyone to think that they can't start their business because 
they don't have $100,000 to spend on legals. Um, but I think that it's important to understand um, there are some things that are non-negotiables and that you need to properly plan through these things. So um, things like setting up a business name, things like registering a company, things like domain names, social media handles, these are all fun things to do and branding in general and marketing conversations tend to happen first of we have an idea, we're just gunning to launch and we just want to start, you know, getting all of our colors and our logos done and start printing up our letterheads and doing up our website. And that's all really fun stuff, but it's a real pain if you set all of that up and then all of a sudden you get a letter from somebody who says, actually, that's my business name or that's too closely related to what I do. Um, so part of the initial planning stage is going through the motions of, okay, let's do our research. Let's look at what businesses are currently operating in the space we're intending to get into. Let's look at if the domain names are available and if there are social media handles that correlate to that because if you have a strong digital marketing plan for your business and you can't get the social media handles that relate to your name, it's not ideal. So um, doing all of that research before you actually set anything up and before you even get to that stage, you need to think about how you're going to operate. So are you going to be a sole trader? Are you going to set up a company? Are you going to set up a trust? Um, these are all things that you would discuss with not only a lawyer but with an accountant as well. So one of the first things that I say to people when they come to me with an idea of starting a business is, have you spoken to your accountant? Do you have an accountant? Um, what advice have they given you? So making sure that your structuring is in place and that you've thought through your structuring, your accountant can often help you as well with things like budgets and business plans um, to make sure that your idea is actually viable before you actually start just throwing caution to the wind and setting up your business and off you go. So I guess getting all your ducks in a row, going through the research stage, the planning stage, um, and then making sure that you are thinking through all the issues like registering all the things you need to register um, once you've done the proper searches. So this minimum, absolute minimum searches would be jump on Google, Google search first. Are there any other businesses closely related to that name? Um, if there are, are they within our jurisdiction? Are they overseas? Do you tend to operate overseas? Are you operating in Australia only? Um, you can jump on the ASIC website and look up business names and company names to see which ones are registered already and what might be closely related to your name. Um, and then obviously doing your domain searches, your social media handles. But one of the biggest ones to look at as well is to jump on the IP Australia website and look for any trademarks that are registered with that name. So um, it's not enough for you to just say, I was able to get the domain name. I was able to get the business name. My company set up in that name. I've got all the social media handles, but I didn't register a trademark. So I have no exclusive rights to that name. And anybody else could technically um, register that trademark and then prevent you from using it or may have already registered that trademark and is no longer not using it yet. So therefore you didn't find it in your research. Um, so doing all of this background information before you launch is critical. Yes. So walk us through, cause it's super easy to hop on and buy a domain name. Yes. I know I've got like about a thousand of them Yes, <laughs> sitting in my GoDaddy <laughs> account. Yeah. Um, so walk us through, like say for example, I'm super excited about starting a business. And mm -hmm. like you said about budget, when you are starting a business, often you you might be employed. Yes, um, side hustle. Yeah, and you're starting something that you hope one day is going to end up being your business. Um, and then so you start, you look and you find your, your perfect domain name. Mm -hmm. um, but then, and you start using it. 
and you haven't done all the other background yeah. research. So what what could the outcome be? Um, one is if you're actually operating a business and you don't have a business name and you don't have everything set up to start a business, um, you're going to have issues because you don't have a trading name. You, it's not enough to have just a domain name. Um, you need to set it all up properly. You may need to register for GST. There's a bunch of things you should talk to your accountant around that. But I mean, yeah, you're going to run into issues if you just start setting up a domain name and operating. <laughs> and because that's what people sometimes do, don't they? Yeah, because they, do. they don't Because to set up a company name or to get that advice, you know, all of that can be quite costly to yeah, start with. It can cost money, but um, it's important to, I mean, even take advantage of all the free resources available. There are that many legal podcasts out there. There are that many legal blogs out there where you can start to um, have a bit of an understanding about what you might need and then reach out to someone that you know, is working within that space that you can relate to and that you think that you would be able to work well with. So get the initial advice on what you might need. Most lawyers will do a free initial consult and sort of highlight some of the things that will be important to you. And then they'll be able to set out um, likely costs involved in them doing that for you or highlight to you where you may be able to self-help yourself as well. Um, Because whilst lawyers never recommend you do that, it's better to do that than to do nothing if there is no budget. So that's important. So first up, you need your structure. Yes. And then your domain name yes. and and ensure that you've got all of the business names and trademarks yes. secured. Obviously, after you've done all your research to make sure that nobody else is using them because if somebody else has registered a trademark, you're likely to get a letter saying you can't use that name and then all that money that you've spent on doing your branding exercise is down the toilet and you're starting again. Yeah, and that's disappointing, isn't it? Yes. Yes. That <laughs> I speak about that through experience. When I was in my very early 20s, I started a business in New Zealand mm. uh, and the name that we called it, uh, we got, we uh, there was a sign that had gone up, mm. everything. Oh, and, no. um, yeah, and we got a letter. Yep. So we had to, ch- I even had bought a number plate. I was so excited oh, about no. it. It's, it's that <laughs> excitement. Right? Like you just kind of jump into it. You've got this great idea. You can imagine what the branding's going to look like. You've got all your slogans happening. And pe- that's where people, I think, jump too quick without doing the proper research and making sure they've got all their ducks in a row and they've registered everything they need to. And all of that can derail you for Absolutely. sure. Yeah. I actually recently, in my husband's business, heard he sells a say. Um, I recently saw an SAE company pop up and I was interested to see like who these people were. And mm. so I did a bit of like, you know, my background digging, digging yeah. <laughs> as, and, you know, I went onto ASIC and did yeah. a whole lot of stuff. And I quickly realized just through my bit of research that they had only um, registered the domain name oh, and no. they'd gone to a lot of expense with all of their branding and stuff like that. Mm. And, you know, I said to my husband, if you really wanted to be, mean yeah (laughs) which it's not in our nature to do that but if you really wanted to be mean you could just go and register all of this now and then they couldn't have it yeah you know so it's also things like that because competitors for example are watching they are absolutely Um, if you pop up in like you the example you've just given if you are competing with someone and you've left yourself exposed expect that somebody will probably do that yeah that's right and you can expose yourself by starting your social media account and getting all of that running and happening and all your branding prior to um, doing any of the other mm, um, exactly. steps. Yeah. So walk us through, um, for people listening, what the difference between 
a business name, mm-hmm. a company name, mm-hmm. and a trademark is. Okay. So when you set up your business, you will need to trade under a name. So whether or not it's your own personal name or whether or not you decide to trade under another name that you come up with, um, you then need to register that as your trading name. Um, Whether or not you intend to trade as a company or a sole trader will depend on whether or not you have a company name as well. So if you go and set up a company, it will be the company that will be trading as that business name. So when you apply for your business name, you will note that it is the company that will be trading as that name. So there is a thing called ABN Lookup in Australia. You can jump on that website and you can search any trading name out there and it will tell you who is trading as that name. So that sort of ties it back to whether or not it's a individual that's trading as that name or whether it's a company trading as that name or it might be a trust. Um, that's how you can find out who's behind the business essentially. Um, so you can see the company name itself is the name of the entity. So if it's not Carly Trading, it might be Collective Family Law Group Proprietary Limited Trading. They're different. It's a different legal entity and they have a different name. Um, you as an individual can trade as the business name as well. So either the company can trade as that if you've set up a company or the individual can trade as that other name, but they need to have a registered business name. Um, a trademark is different again in that it provides you with the exclusive rights to use that name. So when you set up a business name or a company name, that does not provide you with exclusive rights to use that name. Someone could set up a name that is similar um, and does similar things as you and you can't stop them. So the only way to stop them is to register a trademark. And then when you register a trademark, you will have to select which classes of goods and services you intend to provide. So um, for example, in a law firm, there are certain classes that cover off legal services. Um, You can set up a business with a name that provides legal services and then somebody else could set up another similar name that does nothing to do associated with legal services and you couldn't say that they're infringing on your trademark because you don't have protection within those goods, classes of goods and services. So this is why it's important to, when you are applying for a trademark, to really understand what your business does um, in terms of the goods and services. So you might be a service-based business, but down the track you might decide that you want to put out digital products. Um, therefore, it's not just legal advice anymore. It's something else and it will fall within education or something else depending on what you're doing. So, um, And this is where it comes back to your budget at the start. So you might have plans to grow your business down the track. Um, but at the start, you are only providing a certain type of service. So it will be important to register your trademark under that class of goods and services that you are providing at the time. If you have an immediate plan within the next, say, three years to expand into those other areas, you would then want to make sure that you're covering off your trademark application for those areas ASAP. If you don't plan to operate um, your business within those classes of goods and services for, say, 10 years or maybe even longer, you wouldn't go and register it now because if you don't use it, you can lose it. So Mm. anyone can apply to remove your trademark from the register if you're not using it for, I think it's about three years. So, um, and not to mention, you only get protection for 10 years for your fee. So you want to apply as soon as you can to when you're using it. Um, But you want to apply before you go to market because once you've gone to market, like you said before, you've put your name out there. Yeah. That's it. And you've shown your all of your cards, yes. really, haven't you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so that's the difficulty. 
Okay, so tell us about um, how you go about setting up business, say if you and your friend or you and a family member or someone like that wants to do it together because often, you know, we get these great ideas and we, you know, get along with people that we associate with and we think that will be awesome. Let's mm. let's do this together. We've got double the resources. Yeah. Um, let's start a business together. Tell us about that and protecting yourself legally and when it comes to partnerships. Sure. So when you, we talked a little bit about structuring earlier in terms of sole traders and partnerships and companies and things. Um, when you set up with somebody else, if you set up, for example, a company, um, it's important to put in place what's called a shareholders agreement. So that agreement sets out how you see things on that day when you are creating the agreement at the start of your business, ideally. So it sets out things like if there are profits in the business, will you take those profits out or will you keep reinvesting them until, say, a year, three years, depending on when you plan to start actually drawing wages? Because people can go into these businesses thinking, I'm going to make a ton of money. I can start, you know, scaling back my other job if it's a side hustle. Um, and their goals going into it might not actually align with your goals. Um, it's really important to sort of have those conversations from the start and other things to cover are things like investment. So, um, you know, you might go in thinking it's really important that we run Facebook ads and we want to have a big budget for that. And the other person might be thinking, let's bootstrap this. Let's not, you know, let's do all organic content. So, um, setting out all of those plans for your business is really important because if you don't and a dispute arises between you, that will slow things down. It basically brings the business to a halt, right? Particularly if you've only got two of you or you've got a situation where there's a deadlock. Um, if you've got four of you and two of you think one way and two think another way, it sort of becomes a bit of an issue. Like how do we move the business forward? But it doesn't only slow you down. Sometimes it actually completely stops, stops you, you don't, yeah. doesn't it? And I've seen, you know, in the legal industry, but also just mm. around town, your favorite cafe that you go to yeah. or whatever. And, you yeah. know, it's going great guns one day and the next day, yeah. you know, someone's gone or yeah. And if you, if you think about it, you might be going into business with someone because they've got a particular skill set you need to operate that business, right? So if you are a business of content creation, for example, and you've got a graphic designer that without them, you can't create content and all of a sudden they don't agree with your vision for the business and they say, oh, I'm out. And then it's a, well, do we hire a graphic designer now? Like they're not going to be as committed as a business owner will be. They might not have, you know, we might just be changing people all the time then. Um, having that in place and then obviously if somebody does want to exit, setting out the process for the exit as well. So how do you value their part of the business? Is it valued at the time? Do you put a methodology for valuing the business at that time or do you just negotiate at the time because that can hold things up as well? So um, your shareholders agreement is what comes into a play to protect each of the um, business partners, for want of a better word, um, within the business that you intend to operate. And save you a whole lot of heartache. Yes, and money and time and all the things. Yeah, exactly. So next up I wanted to talk to you about, and I mean lots of people, lots of us are creating websites, mm. online courses, um, memberships, whatever it might be. Uh, where it, it could even just be a free downloadable, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we're doing all of that, do we need to be putting any sort of terms and conditions in place? What does all of that look like? Yeah, so every time someone jumps on your website, they're engaging with your business in some way. They may be downloading um, 
free resources you've got. They may be viewing blog posts you've done. Um, and the situation becomes is, for example, can they rely on that blog post? Can they say to you, I went and relied on that and I suffered a huge loss and therefore I'm going to claim that loss from you? Um, having terms and conditions on your website sets out how they can deal with the products and the services and all of the content that's on your website. So, um, for example, if you don't sell anything through that website, you would have terms on there that talks about the intellectual property rights within that website and the content that's on there, as well as things like, um, you know, the fact that you may not be able to control if they um, have a virus that as a, as a result of accessing your website, maybe someone's attacked your website, limiting your liability associated with that, as well as links to other websites. So many websites have links to other websites. Um, and you can't control how they manage their own website. So things, saying things like um, you're not liable if they access another website via your website, that's not part of your website and highlighting that fact. So those are sort of some of the things you would cover off if you didn't sell anything. If you're selling things on your website, there's so many more things to cover. So um, if you're an e-commerce site, you've then got all of your um, terms of sale, for example, like in what currency they're paying, that becomes an issue when you've got an online business because you you could be dealing in a number of markets where you sell products and services too. There's so many things to cover off in there. Refunds, um, you know, what they actually get as part of the goods and services that they're buying from you. And that completely depends on what sort of business you have. So I see a lot of um, law firms and there seems to be a bit of a trend at the moment of selling templates. Um Again, whilst I think it's better to have something instead of nothing, I think it's important to understand the limitation associated with templates. So um, for all the reasons I've just said, every business is different and what, what they do online is different. Um, and it's important to have terms that are customised to reflect the way you do business. So there's absolutely no point in having a privacy policy on your website if you don't even know what it says. You haven't even read it. It's not how you manage privacy um, what's the point really just to tick a box? So um, you'd be in breach of your own policy. It's important to actually think about, um, you know, what you need, your risks are, what you need to cover off under your website and then create customised terms and conditions to reflect that. Um, and things like if you sell memberships, like you're not going to get a standard T's and C's that you can whack up on your website and it's going to cover off exactly how you manage um, memberships in your business, for example. Um, there's so many different things to cover off that it's really important to um, create customised terms and conditions. Templates are great for lawyers and I think they're great in the hands of lawyers because it is a cost-effective way for clients to gain what they need. We start with a template and we customise it to be their business, what their business needs. In the hands of a client, um, it can just become something it was never intended to be when it's edited. Um, and if it's not edited, it's not customised to their business. So there are limitations associated with it. But like I said, still better to have something than nothing if the budget doesn't allow for it. Mm, it sounds like it's all very complicated, doesn't yes. it? So let's break it <laughs> off. <laughs> and we don't want to put anyone off from no. having a business. Um, and, you know, but we also want to make sure that everyone, as they go about their business, that they don't become stoppable. Yeah. And that they can, Aware you know, of the issues. Yeah, because yeah. this is the thing, right? So let's break it down. So what are, the, what are the sort of main things that people need? So you need to have 
general terms and conditions on your website. So some people call them terms of use. This is whenever someone jumps on your website, should be the first thing they look at in terms of, okay, how do I manage, how do I deal with what the content that's on this website? So um, a standard set of terms of use is important. If you are an e-commerce website, you need a longer form terms and conditions that sets out more specifically the goods and services that you sell. Um, You should also have a privacy policy on your website. Not every website is required to have a privacy policy. If you are unsure, if you need a privacy policy, you can jump on the OAIC, I think it is, which is basically um, the body that regulates privacy within Australia. And there's a checklist on there that you can sort of tick through each of the issues. It'll ask you a series of questions. And at the end, it will tell you if you need a privacy policy. So it covers off things like the size of your business, what sort of information you collect, et cetera. Um, And then determine whether or not you need a privacy policy. And if you do, you need to put one up there. Also factor in, even if you don't need one at the moment, your business is likely to grow and it may get to the point where it does need one. So Ideally, everyone should have a privacy policy, even if you aren't required legally to have one, um, because your business can change such that all of a sudden you do need one. And if you're in a growth stage, you probably don't have time to then go and arrange it. (laughs) If you don't have a privacy policy, what could the outcome be? Um, Like who's who's monitoring that? So if you would be in breach of the um, policies that regulate privacy within Australia, and there's a number of issues that could flow from that. But basically, um, everybody should have a privacy policy and it sort of sets out, you know, what information you collect, what you do with that information, um, how you store it, um, how you protect that information, who you disclose it to. There are a number of things that your privacy policy is required to cover. Um, And I think a lot of the clients that I've worked with in the past have actually found the exercise of creating a, a privacy policy um, quite useful because it sort of makes them think about the issues that they should be thinking about anyway. So, um, you know, if they're collecting credit card information, what are they doing with it? How are they storing it? They might not have even turned their mind to the issue. So it's actually quite a good exercise to go through. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's very interesting, all of that. And lastly, I wanted to talk to you about um, influencer marketing uh-huh. um, because at the moment, or well, there's been a bit of a storm this year in terms of ads and um, sponsored goods and gifting Mm. and all of that kind of thing. And if you're listening and you don't know what I'm talking about, it's, you know, it's often a little bit disguised because you can, you're watching someone on Instagram or Instagram stories and they're going to a beautiful hotel or they're eating a beautiful meal or they're unboxing some gorgeous clothes that they've been gifted. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell us a little bit about that and where that's up to at the moment. Sure. So the issue which you sort of highlighted lies in the fact that you, when you jump on Instagram, you view what we call organic content, which is just content that the influencer has created because they wanted to create it. Uh, Sometimes you're viewing that alongside paid sponsored posts. And the issue lies in the fact of um, when it comes to advertising, businesses need to be clear that it is an ad where it is an ad. So under the Australian Consumer Law, they are required to make sure they're not making any misleading statements. There's, they're not um, conducting their business in a way that might be misleading or deceptive. Um, they need to make sure that they are being transparent when it is an ad versus when it is just organic content. Um, so there has been, and you've probably heard stories from overseas, things like Fire Festival, if you watched that documentary on Netflix and Hulu, um, there have been issues where 
large influencers and celebrities have gotten a lot of trouble from posting sponsored content and not disclosing that fact. So around the world, um, particularly in the UK, the US, and now in Australia, there is a bit of a crackdown in terms of regulation of these sort of posts. Um, One of the biggest issues is that a lot of the influencers are not um, aware of these requirements. They're not big multinational companies that have in-house legal teams that are telling them what they should be saying when they're creating content. Um, So there has been a lot in the past of people just posting whatever and not really being aware of what their requirements are. Um, So within Australia, we obviously have um, the ACCC, which is the overarching body who is able to um, do any number of things. Actually, they have quite a broad range of enforcement powers. If somebody is doing something that's misleading or deceptive or making certain, certain statements that are misleading or deceptive. Um, but below that, we've also got, when it comes to advertising and marketing communication in Australia, we have self-regulation. So um, we have what's called ad standards, which and there's a code of ethics which set out um, the ways that people are required to disclose sponsored posts, essentially. Um, there have been some changes to the code of ethics in the last few years to um, add in an additional section which says that advertising and marketing communication needs to be clearly distinguishable as such to the relevant audience. So this covers off your, you know, your influencer marketing type campaigns and has been a change in the law to reflect a growing market practice and a new market practice that's evolved with technology. Um, And then after that, we have also had um, AIMCO, which is the Australian Influencer Marketing Council, um, which is a group of businesses operating within the industry, things like influencer marketing agencies, um, businesses that use influencers. There's three law firms, ours being one of them, um, involved in creating a code of practice that relates specifically to influencer marketing. And that basically sets out how they need to disclose sponsored posts and, you know, gives proper examples of it. Um, And the code is available on, you can get a copy of it on our website if you're interested. Um, And it goes a long way to sort of help and educate people that may not have access to these sort of resources to understand their requirements. So it's in very simple, plain language. It's going to help and it has been helping influencers to be aware of what their requirements are under the Australian consumer law um, and just provide transparency to the industry. So we definitely have movement in the right direction when it comes to maturing the influence marketing industry. So just out of interest, what is the definition of an influencer? So there's, you know, there's people that have say two or 3,000 followers Mm. who might be sort of you know, get given something yeah. and they are posting it online or there might be someone who's got 500,000 yeah. and they're getting paid potentially mm. um, or people have links, you know, to get discount codes or Affiliates, that type of thing. Yeah. So what what's the definition of being an influencer when it comes to marketing on Instagram or Facebook? So there's no, um, I guess there's no limit where you have X number of followers and therefore you start getting paid instead of free product. So um, there's obviously all different types of influencer marketing campaigns. Sometimes they might just be offered free products to post about it. Sometimes they might be given scripted um, captions. Sometimes they might be told what sort of images are to be created. Sometimes they get paid cash. Sometimes they get paid a percentage of profits. There's so many different ways that you can cut it when it comes to influencers. Um, we have 
classifications of influencers. So we have things like you might have heard like micro influencers and macro influencers and mega influencers. There's all <laughs> different categories. <laughs> and, oh, that's hilarious. And these sort of, they do pertain to how many followers that they have. But having said that, a large influencer or what we call a mega influencer will often have a much lower engagement rate than what we call a micro influencer um, or a nano influencer even. So just because they have a smaller number of followers does not mean that it will equate to less sales from the business that are promoting through them. Because some people, despite having a really you know, moderate following, have significant influence with every person that's following them. Mm. So it's it's complicated to actually figure out what the ROI is on influencer marketing and we're going through a process at the moment of trying to create metrics guides and whatnot through AIMCO for this. And it's difficult like to put values on these things and to sort of say, you know, what constitutes an influencer. Um, basically, it's anyone that has influence over other people and that, you know, a business finds worthwhile investing with them to help them promote their products and, and this is where it could be difficult for people isn't it because they don't actually realize that they're an influencer mm. and that they might have to you know say that this is an ad yeah if they got sent say a free product they could then find themselves in a yeah. bit of hot water for example look I think if you're being sent free product or someone's contacting you and saying I'll pay you to post about something you can pretty much guarantee you're an influencer at that stage if you're you know, being given anything to help them promote their products and services, you are really acting in the capacity as an influencer. Right. Okay, cool. All right. So what can happen, for example, if someone, they aren't saying Mm -hmm. that it's an ad? Okay. So basically anyone can complain about that. So think about how many eyes actually fall on a sponsored post on Instagram, for example. Any one of those people can go to ad standards and lodge a complaint and say that that particular post does not comply um, with the code of ethics, which sets out that it's going to be clearly distinguishable, like we said. Um, And then what happens is if they find that a valid complaint, it will go to what's called the ad standards community panel and they assess the um, complaint against what's actually happened. They seek um, a response from the advertiser. Um, and in some situations they may find that the complaint is upheld and if it is upheld they can do things like um, request that they modify the post or delete it um, or, um, you know, put out another statement about the fact that what it was, correct the the record on it. Um, They can also refer the matter to places like the ACCC who can then take greater legal steps. So um, they will also post the case decision on their website Um, It goes to the media, the reputational damage can be enormous. Um, So that's the risk really. But the ultimate risk lies in the fact that if the ACCC investigates it and um, they can find them, they can do any number of things. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. So you really do have to be careful. So if people are interested in contacting you for some mm-hmm. help with either their business setup, mm-hmm. um, any sort of influencer um, legal advice, where can they find you? Sure. So through our own social media account. So we've got Instagram, Facebook, it's at Social Law Co with all. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn or jump on our website, sociallawco.com.au, and you can send through a request on there or set up free initial consults. 
and you've got a podcast. Yes, we have a podcast, Social Law Co. Podcast. So you, if you're listening to this, you can jump over there and have a listen and subscribe. And you're talking about all of these types of topics. Yes. So we're covering off specifically um, around influencer marketing and social media. We talk about things like if you're running um, competitions on social media, some of the things you need to be aware of for that, um, as well as, you know, working with influencers and some of the legal issues that we've discussed today, as well as just, you know, we did a podcast today on some of the practical tips for contracting with influencers to make your life a bit easier. So just practical, actionable steps and general information to educate on the issues. Awesome. Well, it was so cool having you here, Tegan. Thank you. Thanks and we're going to go have lunch now. <laughs> Are we? I've got a meeting and I'd love to. Oh, she's not going to go to lunch with me. I'm going to just have to have, eat lunch in the kitchen by myself. Okay. I love that sushi place. Yeah, the sushi place is awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Being Unstoppable podcast. Brought to you by my personal brand, Freebies, which you can find at caroliefontanelli.com. If you got value from this week's episode, I would love it if you would hit subscribe and take a minute to leave me a review. You can connect with me on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for Carolee Fontanelli. Until next time, remember, if you believe in yourself, you will be unstoppable. Unstoppable.